So uh, a couple months ago, uh, I had a problem with one of my tires. I had one of those like bubbles on the side of my tire. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like when you hit a pothole too hard or a curb. I won't tell you which one I did. And there's a bubble on the side of your, of your tire. So I had to go get it checked out. We were going somewhere like, okay, we need to make this happen. We need to go get it fixed. So I take it to this uh, tire repair shop and we go and uh, we do the whole thing, go in, you know, say, hey, I got a problem. We pick out a tire, do the payment. Hey, we can get you in, just wait here. And so I'm waiting in the little lobby area, you know, where they've got like the little Keurig and some chairs. And so uh, I was sitting there, drinking coffee, I was waiting, sitting in my chair. And as I'm sitting there, I'm reading the signs on the wall. And one of the signs says, you know, hey, don't worry about it. If you don't want to replace all four today, you know, you can replace one tire. And uh, our tire experts will use tire science to level, they'll look at the tread of each tire and they'll level it perfectly so that you have a smooth ride. Kind of like the stuff to sell you, right? Like this is why you chose us. This is like why you can trust us, right? So as I'm reading this sign about the tire science and about the tread level and how their expert technicians would take care of me, no lie, as I'm reading this sign, the guy, the cashier, pops his head in from the shop with a tire iron, and he's like, hey, uh, which tire did you say that it was? And I was like, <laughs> so I told him which tire it was, and look, look, I, you know, this guy might be great at his job, right? You know, I, it's hard for me to think a teenager is a tire scientist, right? I don't know all that goes into becoming a tire expert, but he probably wasn't there yet, right? And, and as I was sitting there, I was just kind of laughing to myself, thinking like, okay, this is, you know, this is how we work, right? Like somebody somewhere in some corporate office came up with these signs and maybe even, you know, pass off to a manager and the manager's like, this is what we do, right? When a, when a, a customer comes in, we check the tread level and, you know, you run this measurement, use this tool, right? At some point there was a strategy and an intention that this is how this company would do this job, right? And somewhere along the line, at least for the employees, at least that day, they said, hey, like we live in the real world, man. Like that's something we say we do, but that's not something we actually do, right? Like I'm just, we're trying to solve problems here. I'm just trying to fix tires. Like we don't have time to do all this tire science that the corporate headquarters says that we should, right? I share this story because I think for us, right, we've all experienced that to some level, right? Maybe your job, you're like, yeah, I get it. Like, you know, hey, here's the memo. Here's what we're all going to do now. And you're like, oh man, this will never work, right? And, and we all have that, that feeling. But I think for some of us, we can take that approach and apply that feeling even to our faith. And we can really miss out on some things. Because what I've learned from walking with Jesus for a while, and, and especially when I read the teachings of Jesus, is that some of his teachings are hard. And some of his teachings are kind of radical. And my heart, when I read some of these teachings in my mind, the first place I go sometimes is to dismiss the teachings of Jesus and say, hey, that would never work in the real world. That would never work in my life. And maybe you're here and you say like, yeah, like I, I'm in on Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for my sins, right? Like he offers us forgiveness and eternal life. He rose from the dead. Like I'm there, I'm with you. But then when we read the teachings of Jesus and try to think about how we act like Jesus, it becomes something that's like, well, I don't, you know, I don't think that applies to me. Like, I'm not, I'm not that kind of Christian, right? Like, we live in the modern world. But I think when we dismiss the teachings of Jesus, we dismiss what he's trying to do in our lives and the work of the Holy Spirit in our heart and the work of God's word when it brings conviction into our mind and our heart and then the transformation that God can use us in 
in our families, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our homes. So I want to look at one of those difficult teachings of Jesus that's probably really familiar to you that maybe you dismissed a long time ago. Okay, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open with me. Matthew, book of Matthew, chapter 5, and we're going to look down here at verse 38. This is a teaching, this is Jesus teaching. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is like the greatest sermon of all time. And Jesus is already in it, near the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So he's already covered a lot of different topics. He's already talked about a lot of things that are like real world that people deal with, right? He's talked a lot about like divorce and anger and lust. And he's, a lot of his approach in the Sermon on the Mount is correcting the teaching of his day. So let's remember too that we follow Jesus who right, lived in the first, first century in Israel. He was a Jewish rabbi there were other Jewish rabbis that were interpreting the law and telling people how they should live that had teachings and had, you know, ideas out there that people followed and knew. And a lot of the teachings that Jesus gives on the Sermon on the Mount uh, are corrections to modern day teachings and applications of the law of God's word on people's lives. He says this in, in starting in verse 38. He says, you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So this is how Jesus does the Sermon on the Mount, right? A lot of, a big section of it. He says, you have heard it said, right? You've heard this teaching, and then here's what it means for us today. So he starts here. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. This is a direct reference to the Old Testament. The Old Testament law, his audience, they probably would have known this, right? The Old Testament law said, hey, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You can find some Deuteronomy and some other places. What this was originally, this teaching was originally, right? Was guidelines for the courts, on how to apply punishment to wrongdoers, okay? So what this meant, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, was this was a teaching from God's words to the courts on how to punish wrongdoers. So if someone was caught stealing, right, then the biblical principle laid out was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It was that the, the punishment has to fit the crime. So if someone was caught stealing, you wouldn't chop their hand off, you wouldn't execute them, right? They would pay back what they stole, and they'd pay back what the person missed out on because of this event, right? But that was, that was like fair, right? So it's a guideline for courts on how to execute justice and punishment. But in the time of Jesus, it had become a personal ethic. It had been something that people had taken onto and said, hey, the Bible says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, that when someone does me wrong, I have the right based on God's word to go do them wrong and give them payback do equal harm to what they've done to me. What Jesus is speaking about here is retaliation, okay? So you're with me? All right, cool, you're with me. All right, cool, okay. Verse 39, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him take your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So Jesus says, hey, here's the mindset of the day. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Someone does me wrong, I have the right to go back and get them and, and pay back, right? Make it even, right? Make it fair. And Jesus says, no, that's not God's heart and God's design for our relationships. And then he uses these examples that are 
extreme. He says, if someone strikes you on your right cheek, turn the other cheek. You've probably heard this before. If someone sues you and takes your tunic, give them your cloak. If someone imposes on you and calls you to go with them for a mile, go with them too. Go the extra mile. Jesus says, this is not how we respond to injustice in a personal way, to offense in a personal way. We don't respond an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. We don't get even. We respond with grace, with forgiveness, with love in radical ways. Okay, let me, let's take just a second and break this down just a little bit, okay? We kind of get what Jesus is saying here. If someone hits you, turn the other cheek, right? But think too just about the details. I don't want you to miss this, right? If someone strikes you on your right cheek, turn the other cheek as well. What Jesus is talking about is you standing face to face with someone and they strike you on their right cheek, assuming they're right-handed, right? Like this is a, a slap across your face, right? Now, why he goes into it, there's like this whole bunch of stuff in the Old Testament law. You and I, we can talk about it later. We can nerd out about it later. It's super fun, right? But there's like all this stuff about like the difference between a closed-handed hit back in that day or like an open-handed slap. But like basically what Jesus is saying here is this is not an act of rage. This is not someone coming in attacking you. This is someone standing in front of you and slapping you across the face. And Jesus says, and then your response is to turn the other cheek. Ooh. I mean, put yourself in those shoes for a second. The pain, but even more than that, the humiliation, the disrespect. Like this is probably someone you knew and trusted. You weren't defending yourself. And Jesus says, your response is not to get even, it's to turn the other cheek. And then he says, hey, if someone sues you and takes you to court and they get your, your tunic, your shirt, give him your cloak as well. Jesus is talking about the legal rights that we have. Because in this day and age, it was legally protected. Your cloak was legally protected. I know it sounds crazy to us in the modern day, but like basically what he's saying here is that, you know, back then the Old Testament law, someone could sue another person and, and sue them for the shirt off their back, but they weren't allowed to sue them for their cloak because that was a way to protect the poor, right? They couldn't be naked and cold. So you could have their shirt, but you couldn't have their outer cloak as well. And Jesus says, hey, don't, don't worry about your legal rights. We're not talking about legal rights right now. Someone sues you for your tunic, give them your cloak as well. And go the extra mile. Jesus is talking about our enemies, right? Again, remember where we are. We're in Israel, first century, right? Remember the Roman Empire had conquered the world. And so Rome has conquered Israel. Israel is under Roman authority. The Roman uh, army rules. And back in that day, if you were walking along the road, just doing your thing, living your life, Roman uh, military members had the right where they could call upon you and you could, they could ask you to carry their gear, carry their pack, but legally they were required, or legally you were protected, they could only ask you to go one mile, right? So you could be living your life. Could you imagine that? Living your life, trying to, you know, get home, trying to get to work, and then a Roman officer's like, hey, come walk with me for a mile. Oh my God, right? The inconvenience, the imposition, but also just like the, the hatred there, right? This is, a, this is an occupying force, a conquering enemy. Like they probably did it grudgingly. They probably were like spitting and cursing the whole way. They're probably, you know, really mad about it. And Jesus says, well, if, if someone asks you to go a mile with them, a Roman military member, go too. Show them kindness. 
give to the person who imposes on you. When someone asks, give. Whatever they want to borrow, give. And if you're like me, you think, man, Jesus, how does this work in real life? And you got a million questions. You're telling me that when I'm hit, I'm supposed to turn the other cheek? You're telling me when I'm sued, I'm supposed to give them more? You're telling me when someone imposes on me and takes advantage of me and makes me serve them, I'm supposed to serve them further? How does this make sense? Why is this the teaching of Jesus? And probably for, for you, you might have a million questions of how this works out in your life. And then the other side, kind of the, the heart impulse that I think we all have is just the sense to dismiss it and say, hey, this is one of these like church things. Like, hey, it works for you, Jesus, because you're Jesus. But like for me, like I can't do that, right? Like I live in the real world. But I think we miss out when we dismiss the teachings of Jesus like that. So let's, let's think about this, all right? Let's try to actually take this into our lives. Let's try to address some of these, these questions when we face a radical teaching like this of turning the other cheek. So when we think about it in, in the context of our lives, here's what I think Jesus is trying to get across for all of us. Jesus is trying to get across with these extreme examples that Christians are called to be an example to the world in putting others first. That we are called to lay down our rights and our honor and take great expense on ourselves. Why? To show the love of God to others and to bring them peace. And it goes against every natural instinct that we have. And that's why Jesus teaches it. Because that is not the natural instinct to be slapped and turn the other cheek, to be sued and to give to be imposed upon and to serve. That's not our natural impulse. So one of the objections that comes to mind, that maybe comes to mind for you, is saying, okay, Jesus, let me take you at your word. If someone does this to me, someone offends me, someone disrespects me, someone takes advantage of me, and you call me to love them and serve them, then who will make them pay? And what Jesus is reminding us and what he's pointing us towards is that God is our defender. Deuteronomy 3 tells us, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, that God is our protector and that it's actually not your job or mine to seek out uh, uh, justice in that sense, personal justice, to retaliate and avenge ourselves, but that God seeks that out and brings justice on our behalf. And it's, it's tough, right? But there's a reasoning behind it. It's because we have a mission and a life to live. And we know that retaliation and anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, all that stuff can just consume us. Several years ago, um, I was driving uh, my car and uh, I was turning uh, across some traffic and there was like a big road, right? So like, you know, four or five lanes, uh, probably like two or three on this side, two or three on this side. And there was like a center turn lane that both sides could use to turn in, right? I could turn left and the other person could come and turn left. You with me? Right? You get it? You've been in there, right? Okay. So I'm turning out. I'm going into this turn lane. Turn my car. Boop. Go into this turn lane. And I'm sitting in this turn lane. I am stopped because the traffic, the oncoming traffic is just too much, right? So I'm waiting for an opening so I can turn left. And as I'm sitting, stopped in this turn lane, directly in front of me is this lady in her car. And she's driving her car. And she's looking behind her so that she can merge back into the lane next to her, right? Okay. So I'm looking in her window or in her windshield. And she is not looking at me. I do not see eyes, 
right? She's not looking forward and she's driving at me, looking behind her, right? And so what happens? She drives right into me, boom, right into me, right? And I remember my feeling was not like anger. My feeling was like, seriously, like this happened? Like what, what? you weren't even like looking forward? And I was so, oh, all right. So we get out, we, you know, check on her. We do the right thing. We pull over to the side of the road. There was an officer nearby. He came by and he takes the report and he says, what happened? I was like, well, I, just, I, was, I was stopped in the middle of the road and this lady wasn't looking out her windshield. She just drove right into me. Like, it's her fault. Like, this is, I don't know what, I, I don't know what to tell you, right? And so he's like, okay, he takes the report, right? Goes over to her, talks to her for a while, takes her report, all that kind of stuff. Comes to me several minutes later. Says, hey, she's got a different story from you. And uh, it's her word versus yours. And I wasn't there. So I can't make a judgment on it. So we're just going to call it 50-50. You know, your insurance will pay for her repairs. Her insurance will pay for your repairs. And I was so mad. <laughs> this rage came out inside of me, right? And like, this guy does his report, hands me the paper and leaves. And I am not done with this, right? Like I am taking pictures of the road. I'm like taking pictures of my car. The insurance agent calls me later. I'm like, you do not understand. We are fighting this with everything we have, right? I'm not paying for a repair. Like I'm going off on it, right? And for weeks I was like about this, like so enraged until finally someone older and wiser was like, man, like you, you can't quit you gotta quit driving out and taking pictures of this road. Like, it's, it's done, it's over. It's like a couple hundred dollars, like move on. It's not that big of a deal, right? But so many, like for us, right, we get, we get tied to these grudges. There's these things that we hold on to, right? I gotta get even. And what Jesus is pushing us towards is, man, respond. Like, the quicker we are to forgive, the quicker we are to show love, the quicker we are to move on, the quicker we can be back to our father's business, right? Like, that's what he's about, right? but we get so caught up in these grudges. Some of them last for decades. And he's saying, no, we, we're called to move forward. That's not even your job, right? The Lord is your defender. He will make things right, okay? And when he's talking about these situations, the hard part is that some of us have been hurt, like, been, like people have done us wrong, right? And we want to retaliate. We want to make things even. And it is really, really, really hard to trust in the fact that the Lord is a good judge, that he will bring justice, that one day all things will be made right. That evil does not go unpunished in our world, but it's not our job to punish evil. That's the Lord's job. That's his, right? And it's not our place to do that, right? Yeah, we can think like that, yeah. The other part that comes up a lot when we think about this and we think about this ethic is that it's not fair, right? It's just not fair. Like if someone sues me wrongly and I'm supposed to give them my cloak, as well, like that's not fair. It doesn't seem right. And again, the, what Jesus is teaching us is that Christians are to lead in self-sacrifice and forgiveness. This is the way of the kingdom, right? is that it's not fair. Never has been, never will be, never will be fair. Like our, our faith was built on Jesus dying on the cross and it wasn't fair, right? It was an unjust accusation the people that, that persecuted him, that attacked him, they didn't know him, they didn't understand him, they were against him, they, they lied about him. It was not fair from a cosmic sense that the son of God who lived a perfect life without sin would die on the cross for your sins and mine. Like, who am I? That's not fair. And that's the message of the gospel. That's the foundation of our faith is that it's not fair. 
Because injustice, for there to be peace, needs a response of love and forgiveness. Another challenge that comes up in my mind is that when we face situations like this, that there is a complaint that, you know, the person hasn't restored to me what was mine, right? Like, there's a sense of, hey, I can forgive and forget, but like at least if they apologized, or at least if they tried to make it right, or at least if they offered something, then we can move forward. But Jesus says, no, man, when you're, when you're struck on your right cheek, turn the other cheek. When you're imposed upon to go one mile, go two. And there's no promise that they're going to make it right. And this is hard, right? Because some of you, man, you're holding on to something. And man, there's a lot of anger there. And you're like, all I'm asking for is just, just like an inch, like something, right? Some apology, some recognition that they were in the wrong. And Jesus says, yeah, there's, there's no guarantee that that's going to happen. But it's still on us to forgive. And it's still on us to love. And then probably the hardest part in my mind is that if we do this and if we live this out, uh, we will look weak. We'll look weak, right? Someone strikes you and you turn the other cheek, well, then what do they think they can do that all they want? Someone imposes on you to go one mile and you just serve them and go two? I'm going to look weak. It is not weak to be given evil, to face evil, to face injustice or offense. And instead of returning that, to have the self-control and the determination to respond to that with love and forgiveness, that is not weakness. That is strength. And again, the ways of the kingdom, right? Like our Lord, the offense that he took on. Right? I mean, on the cross, man, they nailed him to the cross and he looks at the ones who accuse him, the ones who hung him there, and he prays for them. He says, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Like this is the model of our king. And this is the way of our kingdom. And it comes into conflict with our natural impulses and our cultural expectations, right? Throughout human history, there's been an expectation of strength meets strength, fire for fire, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Jesus says no, because what it leads to is just greater escalation, right? How many personal grudges you've seen, right? Someone attacks and then they respond in full force and they attack back and it escalates and escalates and escalates and escalates. And how does it ever stop? It only stops until someone is finally the bigger person and absorbs the offense and responds and returns that offense with forgiveness and with love and with grace. And that's never easy. And that is not weakness. And it puts our pride squarely in the target of Jesus's ethic for our lives. And what Jesus, I think one of the purposes of what Jesus is teaching here is he's teaching us that pride will destroy our mission. It will. Like, the Christian life is always at odds with our selfish pride, always. Jesus calls us to live a life of self-sacrifice and service. Later on in this sermon, he would say, bless those who persecute you and love your enemies. Like that is just an affront to our pride. To be prideful and to put another person first, to be prideful and to serve another person with love is incompatible. It cannot happen. 
right? And so our whole Christian life is meant to be lived and attack our own pride, to overcome our own pride, to serve one another. Like that's, that's what he's getting at, right? He's getting at our hearts. Now, okay, turn the other cheek. You're like, yeah, I've heard it before. Like, doesn't work for me, right? Maybe you're like, yeah, I learned that fifth grade on the playground. Like, I gotta, I gotta stand up for myself, right? Like, maybe that works for Jesus. Doesn't work for me, right? Like, I get it. And there are, there are extremes to this. Like, I, there are. So for those of you who are like running to the extremes, let me just, let me give you some qualifications, okay? Here's a big one that we need to hear as we're talking about this. We're not talking about abuse. We are not talking about infidelity in a marriage. In fact, Jesus covers that earlier in this sermon. He talks about divorce and marriage, okay? Um, this is a personal ethic, okay? This is not something that we're supposed to apply to courts of law. Courts of law aren't supposed to turn the other cheek. In fact, the Bible says that courts are supposed to uphold justice. That's how God works, right? Through the courts and, and through the, the state in that way, right? We are um, not expected, uh, or we are not called to expect other people to do this, to, to suffer in this way. As Christians, we're not supposed to look at the suffering of another person and be like, well, turn the other cheek. Like, no, like as Christians, we are called to actually step in and the self-sacrificial move is to step in and protect, all right? So this is not about other people, it's about personal, right? It's a personal ethic. It's a personal ethic, again, about how I respond to offense, that I do not retaliate. So this is not something we can use on another person, okay? So do not go home and talk to your husband or wife and tell them to go the extra mile. That is not how this works, okay? Like Jesus talks about that too, like the, the log in our eye versus the speck in a brother's. Like this is about us, this is about me, this is about my heart, okay? It's about you and the Lord, not, it's not a message for your husband or your wife, right? And we're not called to um, seek out this, this harm, right? We're not, we're, this is called, we're not called to like seek out suffering, seek out harm, but when it comes, how we deal with it. And, and we're not called uh, uh, to take advantage of others, obviously. We're not called to just do whatever we want and expect people to turn the other cheek towards us. It's not what Jesus is teaching here. Okay. Well, let's not get all these qualifications and extremes and then just dismiss it, right? Like, let's not be like, uh, like Peter, uh, Peter Cartwright. Have you heard of Peter Cartwright, this guy? He was a, a Methodist circuit writer in like the Wild West days, in like the 1800s. And so those, those, he was a preacher, and those Methodist circuit riders, they would like go preach in a town and they'd like hop on a horse and just by horseback go, you know, hundreds of miles and go preach somewhere else and then hop on a horse and go somewhere else. And like, they were, they're like tough guys, right? They're like preaching in the wild west. And uh, there's this story for of Peter Cartwright. The one time he showed up in this town and he preached a sermon and then this guy came up to test him on his faith and he smacked him across the face. And he didn't do anything. And he smacked him across the face. He didn't do anything. And then he smacked him across the face. And then Peter Cartwright got up and gave him an uppercut, right? <laughs> he said, my Lord didn't say anything about a third slap, right? And we're like, yeah, yeah. And you're like, yeah. And part of it, we're like, yeah, like, let's do it. But that obviously is not what Jesus is saying, right? But that's our heart. Like, my heart is like, see the technicality. Like, this is exactly what Jesus is going against. And it's in us, right? Our natural instinct is like, I can only go so much. And Jesus pushes on all of that, right? He pushes on all that. So for us, okay, before we dismiss it and go to the extremes, like, let's think about what Jesus is doing here, what he's speaking into our lives, what, what God is doing here through his word. The whole point of Jesus's ministry here on earth, right? Like, yes, it was to 
provide salvation, to pay for our sins and give us an eternal life, right? But to follow after Jesus, the way we follow after Jesus, it's not just a set of rules to live by, right? It's not just wisdom or good ideas. Like he's going for a transformation on a heart level. Like the people who follow after Jesus, what he is calling them to do is become new people in him, become a new creation, as scripture says, in him. And what that, how that happens is it's from the inside out, right? Like our heart changes, our desires change. We want to be more like Jesus. We want to live this way. We want to love other people. And the, this is the work of the Spirit in our hearts. That when you follow after Jesus, right, the Spirit, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit lives within you. And he starts to work and starts to shape your mind and your desires. And then the Spirit illuminates your mind. And so that when, it, when you now are a new creation and you are a new creature with the Spirit within you and you encounter the Word of God, it comes to life. And now the word of God confronts us and the teachings of Jesus confront us. And then it leads to this desire to change and be more like Jesus. And when you add in the family dynamic, right? You're in a family of God, of other people pursuing Jesus and living this way, right? It leads to now new actions and we become new people with new desires, new ways of thought, new ways of speech and new actions. And so I think the expectation here is that the next time you're at work, and somebody says something to you that they shouldn't have said, and you're about to give them one right back, this Bible verse pops in your mind, right? And that's the Holy Spirit working. And you say, okay, I'm just gonna let that one go. I'm not gonna say anything in return, right? Like this is, this is how the transformation starts to happen is he's working on a heart level and it's challenging to work on our sinful hearts. But what could it, what could it do, right? If we start to live in this way, if we start to turn the other cheek, if we start to forgive other people, if we start to, when people impose us, we start to serve them. Think about what it could do for, for our world, right? Like, I mean, grudges would be let go, right? Like, think about like throughout history, a tribe attacks a tribe and they respond in anger, a kingdom and a kingdom, a nation and a nation. Like that stuff would be solved. But I don't, I don't even really care about that right now. The big scale kind of stuff, right? Like let's, Let's apply this ethic to our own lives, to our homes, okay? Think about what this could do and the way that turning the other cheek, going the extra mile could change a marriage, right? The times where your partner, again, I'm not talking about abuse, but I'm talking about offense. The time when, when a partner says something or does something, and then the first thought is, man, they don't know how lucky they are to have me. I deserve better, right? Maybe you're right, I don't know. But if the response is like, I'm gonna get even, oh, they said this, I'm gonna say this. They didn't do this, I didn't do, like, what does that lead to, man? It leads to destruction, it leads to toxicity. But if we apply that ethic in our homes, in our marriages, where when we are offended, we turn the other cheek, we are opposed upon, we serve, when we sacrifice ourselves and we give and we love and we bless those who hurt us, that could transform a relationship, right? How about with your kids? Or for those of you who are younger, with your parents, what would it look like for you to turn the other cheek when offended 
Like as parents, we are called to discipline our kids, right? That's in scripture. I'm with you on that. But we are not called to retaliate to our kids, right? And so we take on the offense and we return with love and forgiveness and we model that out for our kids. And for some of us, you're like, man, my parents, like, I know, but you, someone's gotta be the bigger person. It should be your parents, but maybe they're not. And so for you, you respond with love and forgiveness and kindness. Think of the healing that it could bring to families. What if you went and applied this to your extended family? Some of you, happy Thanksgiving. You were maybe with your extended family, right? You think about the difficulty that comes there. And instead of responding word for word, barb for barb, you respond with love, what it could do. What if you apply this ethic to your in-laws? Think about the healing, right? Someone has to turn the other cheek. For these grievances to end, someone has to absorb the offense. What about in your church? Maybe you were part of a group, somebody said something. Maybe you're part of a serving team. Things didn't go your way. You weren't heard, you weren't listened to. What does it look like to turn the other cheek, to go the extra mile? How about in your workplace? When it's outside your job description and the world's telling you, yeah, you deserve better. What does that look like to go the extra mile? What kind of impact would that have in your workplace? What it leads to, this turning the other cheek, what it leads to ultimately is peace. That's what it leads to, is peace. And there is no peace without cost. Always. Any conflict, there's cost. And the only way to peace is for someone to absorb that cost. And that is hard to do. That takes strength. That takes self-control. That takes maturity. But it is the way of our Lord Jesus. Can I remind you about another Bible verse? Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Later on, he'll go on to say that while we were still enemies of God, God gave his son for us. God knows all about this, taking on the cost to bring peace. It's the, it's the story of the gospel, right? That God created us out of love to serve him, to honor him, and to rule the earth and be his stewards of the earth. And we took that creation and we took this life and we said, no, I'm going to do it for myself now. And I'm going to try to build my own little kingdom and I'm going to put other people down and I'm going to put myself first. And in all that, we as a people rejected God, rejected his ways and started to live for ourselves like this is the only life that matters. And then God, out of his love for you and for me, sent his son, Jesus, and Jesus came and lived a perfect life without sin. Selfless, loving, giving. Didn't seek his own, but was about his father's business. And then in the midst of this, still, the people of his time hear radical teaching like this, saying, nah, I can never fly here. And they say, no, Jesus, we don't, we don't want this. And they reject him and then go so far not to just reject him, but then also to attack him and try him and execute him on a cross. And while all this is happening on a cosmic level, the punishment that you and I deserve for our sin, the punishment that the human race deserves for its sin, God says out of love 
a just and holy, righteous God says, I'm not going to make you pay it, but my son Jesus is going to take your place. He'll pay the punishment on your behalf. And Jesus dies on the cross, taking your sin in mind, the punishment for our sin on himself. And he raises to new life, conquering sin and death and says, this is the way of the kingdom. Bless those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Pray for those who are against you. This is how we bring peace. I think, man, I, I don't just want to dismiss it. I don't just want to be like everybody else. He talks later, he says, like, what good is it to love those who love you? Everybody does that. But to love your enemies, that is supernatural, right? That is otherworldly. That is something that is a testament to the spirit in your life. And think about how that would play out in your family, in your marriage, in your home. Like, someone has to lead. It's like a, a de-escalation, right? Like, man, if I hurt you, you hurt me. Like, someone has to risk themselves and say, yeah, like, they might not ever apologize. They might not ever get what's coming to them, but someone has to risk themselves and offer, be the first to offer forgiveness and love. And for us as Christians, that's our responsibility because that is the way of our Lord Jesus. So it's my challenge to you this week. Say, man, what, what are those situations where I feel like the Holy Spirit's working, he's convicting me, he's calling me to be the first one to step out and to show love, to forgive, to offer grace. And even though it doesn't seem fair, even though it doesn't seem right, man, maybe that's what God is calling me to do. And for those of you here saying, man, I don't get it at all. Like, this is a kingdom ethic for those that are in the kingdom, right? And the first step for you is you need to follow after this Lord who died on the cross for your behalf. And I promise you that when his spirit lives within you, his word becomes alive. And you start to understand the teachings of our Lord. They're still difficult, but they make sense. And so I want to offer um, us a time of prayer. And I want to pray for two people. I want to pray for all of us here who maybe are just, you know, thinking through that situation. They're like, yeah, I, I hear you. And like, for whatever reason, I can't stop thinking about this person at work. Or for whatever reason, I can't start, stop thinking about this person in my house. And you, like, that's, that's the person. That's the person for you. And I'm going to pray for you for strength and opportunity to show love. I'm going to pray for peace in that relationship. And for those of you who are here and you're saying, no, I need peace first with God. I know that I'm still a sinner. I know that I'm still at war, an enemy of him. I'm going to pray for you too. And that you would just follow along with me and that you would pray. Pray for God's forgiveness. Pray for this new life that he has to offer you. All right, can we pray? Can we pray together? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you uh, for your love. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. I pray, God, for us, for our, our, our church, our community, the people here, Lord, that you, would, that you would lead us. It's difficult to show love, to be the first to forgive, to bless those who persecute us. But God, I pray that we would do it. Pray, Lord, that you would give us opportunities this week that you'd press into our mind and our heart, that you'd bring to mind even these verses. And Lord, that you would bring healing. So God, I pray that you would use us as instruments of your peace in our homes and in our workplaces. I pray too for my friends here who know that they're far from you and know that there's no peace between them and God. I ask that they would just pray along with me. Father, I'm a sinful person neglected you, gone against you, I've gone my own way. Lord, forgive me. 
I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that he paid my debt, that he rose from the dead. Lord, I pray that you would send your spirit to live within me, that you would change me. From the inside out, I would be new. I'd be found in you. I'd be new in you. God, I pray that you would do it. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.